0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at BYTE.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with BYTE.
1: Well, you might have seen, but you probably didn't see it in the mainstream media, but we covered it here and a few other places did. There were riots in Portland. This was Antifa. These were people who wanted to destroy civilization. They don't like government. But guess what? They were attacking the Democratic Party headquarters. Who knew? Uh, Dennis Prager. I was able to interview him about this because there's just a lot of questions about what this means for the Biden administration and whether he's going to be able to contain the far left. Take a listen. Dennis Prager, thank you so much for joining Just the News AM. We appreciate it. Dennis, I want to get your take on what happened on Inauguration Day. We saw in Portland there were Antifa rioters that were destroying and trying to destroy the Democratic headquarters in Portland. We were promised that after Joe Biden won that the chaos would stop. These rioters apparently wanted to destroy the Democratic Party headquarters because they didn't like Joe Biden and they were coming from the left. Where does it stop?
2: The uh, Where does it stop? You, people have to understand that the the left is, is, is chaos so it never stops has the left in any country have they stopped in Venezuela there's no such thing as stopping the left the left is an incoherent force they don't know what they stand for the, the left is a function of a board Soulless life that needs meaning finds it through chaos, and uh, uh, for whom there is a great adrenaline rush at destroying a building, that is the that is it, that is all it is.
1: Dennis, I want to ask you about the, the 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 cabinet. So, President Joe Biden's cabinet seems to be more moderate. He seems to be annoying the people on the far left. So, for example, Gina Raimondo, who is the Commerce Secretary, she won an award from the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research, a conservative policy think tank. They gave her an award for what she did on pension reform in Rhode Island. There are a number of other people who are around the president that the left, they're upset and they say that he's not going far enough. His national security advisor said that his administration is not in any rush to rejoin the Iranian nuclear deal. You have someone who's also an advisor to the president who the environmentalist activists on their left are upset because he took. Over a hundred thousand dollars from energy lobbyists. So the argument here from the far left is that even though they got, you know, Trump out of office, they don't believe that what Joe Biden is doing is hard left enough. Do you think this is going to be the uh, the bigger problem for Biden, the hard left, compared to the opposition from the right? Yes. Uh,
2: yes and no. Uh, the Joe Biden for the left was the way to get into power so to the extent that he does not align himself with them they will oppose him uh, his, joe biden was a uh a, a figurehead for the left that, that he was a figurehead period he didn't campaign and uh, people could then assume what they wanted oh he'll be a moderate oh he'll be a uniter oh he isn't trump Nobody really voted for, for Joe Biden. People voted against uh, Donald Trump. People voted for the Democrats. People voted for the left. There may be 100 Americans who voted for Joe Biden because they think he will be a great president. So yes, he will have a battle with his left, uh, but uh, he, he remains president. He, he doesn't need them. Uh, in order to pass whatever he wants. And in any event, he just signed, a th- I don't know, 17 executive orders the first day while wearing a mask, even though he's vaccinated, which I find to be uh, uh, as absurd as I do frightening. And uh, they included things that Americans aren't aware of. For example, uh, he, has, er, he, he has demolished the 1776 commission For him, it's not important, and this this is a big sop to the left. It is not important to him that Americans learn that we were founded in 1776 and not as the New York Times would have it, and thousands of schools now use the 1619 Project. He abolished the 1776 Commission. The left is thrilled with that. The left is primarily concerned with deconstructing the United States of America, and apparently he's quite willing. Uh, The use of the term white supremacist or white supremacy in his inaugural address was uh, beyond belief. Uh, His use of domestic terrorists along with white supremacy, this was all a left, please know I'm your man
1: but what about the argument that the the carnage that we saw the riot on capitol hill which you know the the president's speech he urged the peaceful protests so trying to tie the president uh, based on what he actually said is, is just not actually factual but when we're talking about you mentioned earlier chaos to see what happened on with the riot on January 6th, that was chaos. So what's your response to people who say, hey, you can't just say the left is all about chaos and the right's all about order, because what we saw was people who were trying to break down law and order right there.
2: Yeah, it's like saying to me, if uh, if, if somebody, uh, if some Mormon went on a killing spree and, and people said, look, what are you talking about? The Mormons have a lower, uh, a lower crime rate. Did you see what this Mormon guy did in, uh, in in Georgia? And, of course, anyone who wishes to be intellectually honest would go, well, the fact remains that Mormons are very unlikely uh, to be mass murderers. And that's just a fact. It is very unlikely for right-wingers to riot. Some fools did. What am I going to do? No, no group in the history of Earth has only had wonderful people in it. But the ratio of left-wing violence to right-wing violence since February of 2020 is 10,000 to 1.
1: And we're gonna come back more after the break with my interview with Dennis Prager. You can hear uh, what he's saying there. He's very upset about the abolishment of the 1776 commission, which former president Trump brought together. He brought together folks, a lot of African-American conservatives to the table, uh, but also just folks who were interested in making sure that the truth is told about what our country was actually founded upon. Uh, It was about uh, throwing off the bonds of the British crowd. uh, And it was, that was the, the, the main intent. And that's really what the president President, former President Trump's commission was all about, and you can see Dennis Praker is very upset about that. We have more after the break. We have to take a quick commercial break. We have more about his thoughts on public education and public schools. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Dennis, thank you again for joining us. I wanna turn to the topic of academic freedom. So you recently created a documentary looking at the lack of freedom of speech. You're documenting it all over across the country where the free expression of ideas is being suppressed. I wanna ask you, for those who are classically liberal in the sense of open dialogue, believing in free exchange of ideas, do you think that by allowing that on the campuses for so long that that actually became uh, a victim of its own success in the sense that they allowed people who are leftists, they allowed people who are socialists, they allowed people who do not believe in freedom of expression to thereby outnumber over time within the leadership and the professorship to the point where now they are crushing the very uh, you know system that allowed them to rise to begin with?
2: I have uh, drawn a distinction between left and liberal in every talk that I've given, every time I broadcast my radio show, and I probably do in the uh, the movie No Safe Spaces that you referred to. Uh, Liberals believe in free speech, leftists have never. Since Lenin, from Lenin to the university, wherever the left is in control, it suppresses free speech. There is was no exception in the history of the world since the left was invented in the French Revolution, going to Marx and then to Lenin. Mm. So this, uh, this did begin, in fact, uh, this did begin at the university. That is, that is correct. Uh, and the, the liberals of the university were cowed into submission and allowed the left to suppress free speech Liberal and courage are oxymorons. The only courageous liberal I know is Alan Dershowitz. There are, well, Jonathan Turley has done well uh, in that regard. There are about maybe five or 10 courageous liberals who actually stand up for liberalism. The irony of life is the greatest defenders of liberal values today are conservatives. I would go further. The only protectors, of liberal values today are conservatives.
1: So what's the path forward? Because the the controls of power, the levers of power at the federal level are are now all controlled by people who are on the left side of things. Do you think that Joe Biden, when you look at Joe Biden's history, the word is, you know, he personally, for example, in the 1960s, he was not about writing. He was not about the chaos. He was not about burning down the inner cities. He was not one of those revolutionaries there set to fundamentally change America's DNA. That was not his M.O. in the 60s. So do you think that that gives you a grain of hope to say Joe Biden, the man, his metal just isn't that way?
2: Okay, again, we had a terrible transmission, but if you're asking, well, is there hope in Joe Biden because he's a, a liberal? Is that the implication of your question?
1: Yes. The question is do you believe that looking at Joe Biden, that the man himself, his career, his voting record, how he spent his youth when he was in the 60s, he was not a radical revolutionary? Yes, he correct. wasn't. That is all he wasn't,
2: correct. Okay. Yeah, he, was, he wasn't
1: hanging out with the, with the, you know, the weathermen and, and, and the folks that, Joe, that uh, Barack Obama was hanging out with.
2: Joe Biden, as I, I've read him, has, stands for one thing, becoming president. His life has been devoted to becoming president of the United States. I don't think he believes in anything, to be perfectly honest. I know this sounds like an attack on him, but I, I don't mean it as an attack. It is an attack. I am not being, I'm not going to fool you, your audience, or myself, but I don't mean it in that way. This is how I understand him. He stands for whatever works at that moment. If the left is in control of the Democratic Party, he's a leftist. If the liberals are control in control, or even more accurately, he wants to be well thought of as all... Democrats do in the New York Times and Washington Post. That is their animating impulse. By the way, there are Republicans who want to be thought of well as well, and that that is a catastrophe. The day you don't give a damn what the New York Times says about you is the day you become morally courageous. Uh, Donald Trump, with all his flaws, didn't give a damn about what the New York Times said about him, and this is one of the reasons he was able uh, to do what he believed in. Uh, I believe that Donald Trump has more beliefs uh, than uh, Joe Biden. Uh, That's it. Does Joe Biden really believe that the United States was founded in order to preserve slavery? Of course not. But he doesn't give a damn. The left gives a damn because the left wants to uh, destroy America as we know it, to have kids grow up thinking that they live in a contemptible country. Does Joe Biden think it's a contemptible country? I don't think so. But is he prepared to say in his inaugural address that we're systemically racist? Of course. Does he believe that? I don't believe he believes it. I don't believe he believes as I said anything. Joe Biden has achieved what he wanted, to be president of the United States.
1: I want to ask you about the university and education systems. There's been a lot of disruption with COVID, a lot of parents doing homeschool, a lot of universities that have canceled classes. Enrollment has been dropping. Does this give you hope in some respects that the education system is being fundamentally reborn? Is there opportunity here to change this groupthink that you see creeping in all over, not just on college campuses, but also K through 12?
2: In my opinion, the, the only or the first road, not the only, the first road to saving this country from the left's attempt to destroy it as we know it is to take your kids out of the schools of the country. There are a handful of good schools left, secular and religious, a handful. I don't care about those. Obviously, you could send your kids there. I beg parents to do this for selfish reasons, aside from loving America. Your kid, there's a 50-50 chance that if you send your kid to elementary school, high school and college, they will come out holding you in contempt. If you're prepared to lose your child, keep your kid in school. If you worry about that and would like to share values with your children, do not keep them in school. I, this is a guarantee. Everyone watching this knows this is true. But people believe that the alternative, homeschooling or finding a good school, is too difficult. So they deny or they think like people who take a terrible risks. It won't hurt me. It probably will.
1: So where, where would people start? Where do you recommend people try to find a better school? I mean, ha- how do you, you help people in this journey?
2: Well, my first, my first choice is homeschooling. Uh, when, I, uh, when I meet young people, I could tell you within 30 seconds which of the kids is homeschooled. They're not jaded, they're happy, they're bright, they're intellectually curious. Of course, there are exceptions. I'm sure there are losers who are homeschooled, but overwhelmingly, it's incredible how I could tell when, when kids call my show or when I meet them at, at the, the homes of Donors to Prager U, for example, I know exactly which kids are homeschooled. They know more, they love more, they think more, they relate better to people, they respect adults, which is never inculcated in regular schools, but that's a separate issue. So you've got to take your kid out of school. That's that's the that's the opening to your saving your family horrible grief later of having children who have contempt for you, for America, and probably for religion.
1: Well, I was homeschooled, so thank you, Dennis. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and be right back. What the frack is going on? We got an energy expert coming up. Stay tuned. Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. Well, what the frack is going on? We know that Joe Biden, during the debate, he said he wanted to eventually ban fracking, and that was sent shockwaves when he said that in October 2020. There was a, a drop the mic moment with former President Trump saying, you know, this is really going to hurt you in Pennsylvania and Ohio. Well, what's happened since then? Is there anything in the executive orders that Biden has been signing? Joining me to discuss this is Steve Malloy. He's the founder of Junk Science and. He was part of former President Trump's transition team for the EPA. Good morning, Steve.
3: Good morning, Carrie. Thanks for having. Me.
1: Good to have you. So, tell us what do we know about what Biden has done so far on on fracking? Has he, in, you know, he signed dozens of executive orders at this point. They has them lined up. Has he done anything specifically on fracking yet?
3: Well, yeah. Uh, on day two, he signed an executive order. On oh. Federal lands
1: oh sorry can, can, sorry can repeat that uh, you cut out for a second.
3: Uh, on day two, he signed an executive order uh, stopping the uh, approval permit for drilling on federal lands. So there's about four hundred permits that have been hung up now or basically stopped.
1: And that's about eight percent, is that right?
3: Uh, yes. Yeah, well, fracking on federal lands is about 10%. Uh, these are new permits. He hasn't done anything with the existing permits. He, You know, pe- uh, companies have property rights in those. So he hasn't stopped those yet, but they'll get around to it. Don't worry. And so, you know, now between day one and Keystone XL and day two, these permits, he's probably killed 80,000 jobs so far. This is a blue collar guy who calls himself blue collar Joe. He's killed 80,000 blue collar uh, jobs, high paying jobs.
1: And where is that land right now in the federal? When we're talking about already what he's done with banning the drilling in federal lands, is this mainly in Pennsylvania or Ohio? Where is that affected land?
3: You know, the federal government owns most of the West, and, and uh, these lands are basically in the West. So, it's Western states, you know, Republican states, he's hurt. He doesn't, you know, which they don't really care about.
1: So, like South Dakota, is it Wyoming, you know, Wyoming
3: Colorado, New Mexico? Mm-hmm. Where federal, you know, federal lands, federal. The federal government owns most of the
1: West. So this, you think this is the first step because you wrote an op-ed in October 2020 in the Wall Street Journal, which I would recommend all our viewers to go take a look at it. Um, But you said basically that even if he doesn't want to outright ban fracking, he can basically kill it Basically you said death by a thousand cuts that you said he's going to end fracking without a ban. You said that he can't do that by executive order. But what he's going to do is what you said he would do it by an indirect means by taking a regulatory nibble here and a legislative bite there. So what is the game plan? And and you talked about what Obama did to the coal industry, and and you said you think that this is basically the playbook. You said you think that Biden is gonna follow Obama's playbook because Obama did a lot of damage to the coal industry. What's the playbook for the fracking industry?
3: Well, so it's important just to recall what happened in the Obama administration uh, through a myriad uh, set of rules, commonly called the war on coal. Obama killed 50,000 coal jobs. Uh, hundreds of thousands of other support industry jobs put taxpayers on the, um, you know, hook for coal plan, uh, coal coal company pension plans, uh, and it was just a disaster. And um, so now this is coming toward towards the uh, fracking industry. Now Biden can't ban fracking. There's he has no legislative authority to do that, but he like the Obamas did with coal, um, he can do that the same thing to oil. So know, he can ban uh, drilling on federal lands. He can roll back a lot of the, you know, various Trump rules. I mean, he can carry on a, a broad uh, war against fossil fuels, which he has promised to do. You know, in that last debate that you mentioned in the opener, uh, Biden promised to um, phase out fossil fuels. He has said he would ban fracking. Well, he can't do that, but, but you know, through a death by a thousand cuts he can significantly damage the fracking industry and and our economy, really.
1: So Ted Cruz uh, basically said what you said. He put out a tweet and he said, day one, the Biden administration canceled the Keystone pipeline. Day two, the Biden administration banned new fracking on federal land. The Biden administration's message to America's blue-collar workers, if you are a blue-collar worker in the energy industry, find a new job. Where are these workers going to go? What's, I mean, what's the plan there to help these people who are going to be displaced?
3: Well, that's a great question. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton found that when she told uh, coal miners to, you know, we're going to retrain you. that They didn't accept that because, you know, we're, we're killing high-paying jobs, jobs in the coal industry and in the oil and gas industry. You know, these are jobs that on average pay $80,000 a year. Uh, There's no substitute job, especially in these regions where there's nothing else to do. You know, in Appalachia, for example, um, in these in in the West where we do fracking, there's there's nothing else to do. Uh, I guess you can learn to code, but so far that's not been happening. And so these people are just either unemployed or they have to uh, accept, you know, minimum wage or low wage work, um, you know, doing solar panels or windmills, I guess. But I mean, those jobs just don't pay anything and there's not enough of them and we're, you know, we're, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot. We're making ourselves dependent on uh, OPEC. Uh, we had freed ourselves from that under the Trump administration, but with Biden, we're going right back there.
1: You're absolutely right. And what I find ironic about all of this is Russia, for example, the more dependent we are on foreign countries because we're not producing our own energy, the more we have to go to places like Russia. Why do you think the Biden administration is taking this tack?
3: <laughs> well, I don't know. It's I, I don't really understand the America last philosophy. Um, I, the, s- some of the more naive people in the administration believe that we can just do everything with wind and solar. Of course we can't. We can't do anything in society without fossil fuels. You can't build a wind farm. You can't build a solar farm. You can't make the materials. You can't install them. You can't do anything without fossil fuels. This notion that we're going to get off fossil fuels... Uh, anytime soon. is just ridiculous, but they've already decided that, you know, that's the goal and they are hell bent on getting there and it's going to be scary. And we've already seen just two days in 80,000 jobs gone. I mean, what, what does the future hold?
1: Steve, I love the name of your website, JunkScience.com. Let our viewers know, what are some of the biggest junk science myths that you see out there when it comes to energy and fuel that people are just peddling and and some people, sadly, are are getting deceived by it?
3: Well, you know, I do a lot of work on climate, uh, this this notion that, uh, you know, there's catastrophic global warming coming. That's just, you know, unproven speculation, hysteria. It's not about controlling the climate or improving the weather. It's about controlling us. They want these, you know, environmentalists want to tell us where to live, how many children we can have, what kind of food we can eat, what kind of cars. It's just, it's about controlling us, not about that. Uh, I have a lot of extensive work on air quality. Uh, The Obama administration was able to kill the coal industry by falsely claiming that emissions from coal stacks were killing hundreds of thousands of Americans uh, a year. Uh, we were successfully um, we were successful in in debunking that, and the Trump administration tried to fix a lot of those rules based on that. Um, you know, in the past, uh, junk science has been around since nineteen ninety five. Done a, a, every kind of public health uh, science, environmental issue. So we've got a lot of material, but recently, you know, climate has become uh, the most important issue of our time. You know, next to COVID, of course, COVID is immediate, but 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 of course, the environmentalists. In the Biden administration, they want to go from a COVID lockdown to a climate lockdown. So that's what we got to be careful of.
1: One time, the next, all our liberties frittering away. Steve Malloy, thank you so much for joining us.
3: All right, Carrie, thank you for having me.
1: And we'll be right back with a Catholic priest to give us more on his take about what happened with Joe Biden and his priest who did the swear-in. This priest uh, funded an abortion group at Georgetown University. Pretty shocking. That priest joins me coming up next. Delve into the shadows of the mind. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery. Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. Well, let's talk about faith in the public square. Joining me is Monsignor Charles Pope. He is a Catholic priest and we're here to talk about an article he wrote on where things stands with our civilization, where are we headed? A lot of people feel very disoriented. There's a lot of straight, uh, just strange things happening, a lot of disruption. Good morning, Father Charles.
4: Good morning. Good morning.
1: So you wrote a very interesting article, and I heard about this concept from Dr. Ben Carson, who was on this program previously, and he talked about what he mentioned, the eight stages of the rise and fall of civilizations. And your piece is very fascinating. You look at these eight stages. I wanna put them up on screen for our viewers to take a look. So civilizations go from bondage to spiritual growth, from spiritual growth to great courage, from great courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance. From abundance to complacency, from complacency Mm -hmm. to apathy, from apathy to dependence, from dependence back to bondage. And what yeah. Ben Carson said, he believes that where we are right now, we are approaching this eighth stage. He said, you know, we're back, creeping back toward tyranny, he called it. He said, we're creeping back toward tyranny, the way that we are suppressing freedom of spree- speech, we're fu- suppressing yeah. the freedom of ideas. He says, we're heading toward this eighth stage. What do you think?
4: I I, I, com- I completely agree, and I'm, I'm very, I cannot even tell you how anxious I am about the, um, you know, our culture and and the suppression of, of free speech. If there's anything that defines America, anything at all, it is free speech that I can. I, look, for example, next next door to me right now, my neighbor is flying the. Um, you know, the, the flag that uh, signals, you know, uh, gay liberation and, you know, the, the rainbow flag. I,
1: or I or as my, my friend, neighbors. my Catholic friend likes to say, it, it's it's the symbol of, of God's promise to Noah. That's, that's what the rainbow flag is. But that's ah, one interpretation.
4: Ah, ah. No, it's not that. <laughs> but in America,
1: <laughs> it usually means something else. But yes, please continue. Um,
4: but I would say that I would die for my neighbor's right to fly that flag. I really would. But I don't. I don't think the left is saying that anymore. Say,
1: do you think your neighbor would die for your right to? Do, do you think your neighbor would would die for your right to have your cross up?
4: Well, yeah. I mean, it's there because it's been there for you know eighty years. But I, I'm I'm telling you right now, they're trying to take it down. They are, and the left is not in the same um, place that I, I think we are, which is. I I I would die for my neighbor's right to disagree with me. I don't know that my neighbor agrees with me on that.
1: So when you're looking at these eight stages, because t- tell us more about this concept first of all. Where did this eight stage framework come from, and what what could people who believe in freedom what could we do?
4: Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think that th- these are, by the way, not new to me. I I, I just reported them from. Sociological sources, you know, who have looked at other cultures that have declined and fallen apart. But you know, you go from bondage to spiritual growth, and from spiritual growth to curse. In other words, in the crucible of persecution, people rise up, and they, you know, what, what was, you know, they 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 decide, look, I'm I'm going to either uh, uh, give me liberty or give me death. You know, that's that's the classic line from ours. So we go from courage, ultimately, to liberty. The problem is liberty leads to abundance, and then abundance to complacency, and complacency to apathy. Look, man, I'll, what's on TV tonight? I, I, I don't want to worry about all this, no, I, I don't want to worry about all this stuff. Um, and then from apathy to ultimate dependence, I can't live without Twitter, I can't live without Facebook um they're in charge of my life you know and then from dependence to a type of a bondage and uh we are by that time we're in real trouble so i think that ultimately i think we have to accept the fact that there's a kind of a cycle where persecution despite all of its terrible negative impacts wakes us up and we rise to the battle. But once we rise to the battle, we get complacent and we, we fall asleep.
1: Well, that's Ronald Reagan always said that freedom is only one generation from perishing and you gotta be vigilant. Real quick, I wanna talk, to, uh, get your thoughts. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops issued a statement saying that Biden, quote, will advance moral evils, including contraception, abortion, and same-sex marriage. Do you agree with this statement? And also, what's your take on the the Catholic priest who was chosen to do the invocation for Biden's swearing? He gave money when he was the president of Georgetown to a student group that was pro-abortion and officially recognized this group. What's your response to both these things?
4: We have, we have a, hu- a huge problem in the church. Are we willing to stand up for what we believe or not? And. Um, it, it, it would have seem, it would seem not it would seem not, um, uh, you know, basically maybe put it this way, that um, Joe Biden, I, I, I love Joe Biden because he's my brother. And I don't I don't want him to go to hell, but I tell you, he will go one day before the judgment seat of Jesus and Jesus will say to him, did you care? Did you stand up for the unborn? Did you stand up for the powerless? Did you stand up for them? No. You know, I mean, the question is, you know, how do you, you know, you, you know, a lot of people call themselves Catholics. You know, they're Catholics in name only. But I, 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 you know, and I really care about Joe Biden. I care about his soul. If I could grab hold of him and lay him by his lapels, I'd say, Joe Biden, I love you. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. All
1: right. Father Charles, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Good.
2: CARMAX, the way car buying should be.
1: Hey there, good morning and welcome here back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, it's Friday. Oh, let's just all take a nice Sigh of relief here. It's Friday. Uh, And also on the news front, as it relates to Senator Josh Hawley, he has a new book publisher. You'll recall that Senator Josh Hawley was one of the senators who voted to challenge the Electoral College results. And as a result of that, he got his book deal canceled. He put out a statement about this. It was Simon and Schuster was the original book publisher who was supposed to do this. And he said in a tweet, this could not be more Orwellian. Simon and Schuster is canceling my contract because I was representing my constituents, leading a debate on the Senate floor on voter integrity, which they have now decided to redefine as sedition. Let me be clear, this is not just a contract dispute. It's a direct assault on the First Amendment. Only approved speech can now be published. This is the left looking to cancel everyone they don't approve of. I will fight this cancel culture with everything I have. We'll see you in court." Well, it turns out, I don't know what's happening with this court dispute, but Josh Hawley was able to find a new book publisher, and that book publisher, the president and publisher of this house is Regnery Publishing, and the publisher and president is Tom Spence, and he joins me here this morning. Good morning, Tom.
0: Good morning, Carrie. Thanks for having me on.
1: Great to have you. So this is a hot potato issue. What made you guys decide to pick up the senator?
0: Well, we were delighted to pick up Senator Hawley. Um, I think You know, it's not often that you get a book, that you would acquire a book uh, that another publishing house has done a first-rate publicity campaign for. So, uh, Simon & Schuster uh, made it, I think, a much more popular book than it would have been even otherwise. But also, we are disturbed by a trend in publishing, which, which I think can only be called blacklisting. And taking Senator Hawley's book is is our way of taking a stand against that. Blacklisting has gone from being the publishing industry's dirty little secret to being its biggest boast now. Publishers obviously can't take, can't publish every book that's presented to them, but it's always been the case that some people, some authors are more welcome than others and, uh, and certain authors need not apply. But now, as Senator Hawley's case shows, uh, publishers aren't quite about that. It's, it's now a boast. They, they, they go out of their way to announce whom they will not publish. After, the, uh, after what happened to Senator Hawley, I started getting calls from journalists uh, asking you know, who, 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 whom we might not publish. Or, you know, they're sort of daring me to, to say, oh yeah, we'll publish Senator Hawley or, or whoever. Um, and what and did now, you tell
1: them? I'm curious. Who would you not publish? <laughs> uh,
0: that list would be very short. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there, there are some people, I suppose. That, you know, we, on principle, would not publish. But uh, those no names. Are no names. All right. No
1: names. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, but but what about the the commercial aspect of it? Talk about this because you saw Twitter, Facebook, their market values plummeted, and and these are you know publicly traded companies is there an argument to say there's a, a, a fiduciary responsibility that if you're a shareholder the company is supposed to be maximizing shareholder value and it's supposed to be looking out for you if you choose to invest in twitter or you choose to invest in facebook or, or any tech company and now they're they're killing their customer base is there an argument to say they are failing in their fiduciary responsibility and could they be held financially and legally responsible
0: well I'm, I'm uh, not a uh, securities lawyer, <laughs> but so how liable they might be, I don't know, but it's a good question. I mean, clearly, just to take the, the example of Senator Hawley's book, Simon & Schuster did something that was not in its best financial interest and therefore not in the interest of its shareholders. I think it shows how uh, powerful the, the, the woke mob, as Senator Hawley called it, is within these publishing houses uh, I, I i was not privy to simon and schuster's deliberations uh however brief they might have been over whether to cancel the senator's book but uh my guess is that there was fear that the, their staff uh, which is a lot consists of a lot of uh very woke young people which, wait, beg, which uh, begs wait, the question, wait. why don't they just hire
1: a more diverse staff? But I want to turn to one last topic wait. while we have you here. And this is uh, former President Trump. So word on the street is, LA Times reported about this, hundreds of people in publishing have signed a letter objecting to any future book deals for the Trump administration. Do you think that the Trump uh, legacy here is in peril? Or would you guys pick up his book? I mean, wh- what do you think this message sends sends uh, to the American public when you have hundreds of people in the book publishing industry trying to ice out a former president?
0: Well, they're not only trying to ice out the president, but all of the hundreds or thousands of people who worked in his administration. So the message that sends to the American people is blacklisting is alive and well in 2021. Uh, My company, Regnery, published a book by Donald Trump five or six years ago. We would be uh, we would certainly consider carefully a proposal from him uh, if he if he wanted to write his memoirs or or, or whatever. We we're not uh, writing him or pretty much anybody else off.
1: And it's interesting. I just had Dennis Prager on about this question of of who's truly liberal. Do you think conservatives are the are the real liberal ones here in terms of free speech?
0: Uh, I think that is unquestionable. Yeah, uh, the, that. Uh, letter that open letter to the publishing industry that you you just cited is a really chilling example there have been over 500 people from the business signed that letter which is as clear a statement of blacklisting as you could could come up with i couldn't have written a parody of it and uh there there have been uh, you know i've been listening there have not been any any condemnations of that from, right. from the big five? All right,
1: well, we've got to leave it right there. Tom Spence, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be right back, folks.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai,
0: there's joy in every journey.
1: Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. So yesterday at the White House, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has been elevated and brought over again to the Biden administration, he had a press conference, he said... I can tell you, I take no pleasure at all in being a situation in a situation of contradicting the president. So it was really something that you didn't feel that you could actually say something and there wouldn't be any repercussions about it. The idea that you can get up here and talk about what you know, what the evidence, what the science is, and no, that's it. Let the science speak. It is some, somewhat of a liberating feeling. So he says that he was liberated. He's been liberated by Joe Biden, the liberator, who was uh, you know, the, the person who set him free because he was shackled by former President Trump. And uh, the internet thus uh, on the right exploded after this all happened because they all did not forget. It was not that long ago when we're talking about science because Fauci is saying that he's now allowed to talk about the science. Fauci himself seems to have no idea what the science actually is saying because we know before he was for the mask mandate he was against the mask mandate when it comes to herd immunity he said what he did would he he took his finger to the wind and he said how does the american public feel about herd immunity because then that, that's what the science will say based on what polls tell us the American people feel about herd immunity. It wasn't even his own interpretation. It was his reading of American polls about how Americans felt about herd immunity. That's science. That's science for Dr. Anthony Fauci. Don't forget that, folks. All right, that does it for us. We'll be right back here on Real America's Voice for War Room.